Andy Griffin Show, the number one talk show in St. George, starring Andy Griffin. Oh, hi, everybody. Great to be here this Monday morning. It's sunshiny and beautiful, still under 80 degrees for now. And as we're going to get to about 102 today, it's not too bad, really, especially when you've been at 111 and 102 doesn't feel so bad at all. Uh, it is a Monday, the 10th day of August, and uh, fresh off of the debut of the Brian Hyde Show this weekend. And Brian joins me now live uh, via the telephone. Brian, how are you? Hey, doing fantastic. Thanks. Thanks for joining me today. I had the opportunity to listen to all five hours of your show this weekend, and we want to tell people, if you want to hear, <laughs> no, actually, you had 10 hours, so but I heard five of them. And, uh, Cruel but, and unusual punishment, man. <laughs> I, I'm so sorry. If you want to hear Brian, it's on the sixes, and, and uh, it's kind of a cool deal, 6 a.m., 6 p.m., both Saturday and Sunday, and on Sunday, it's a two-hour segment, so six to eight, so uh, five hours of Brian Hyde over the weekend, uh, lots of wrong thinking going on. Wait, is that is that? That doesn't sound right. Wrong thinking. Free thinking. It's wrong thinking. I I revel in wrong think. That's that's what I do. Awesome. Well, uh, boy, it's an interesting show that you've put out there, Brian. You've got, you take callers, you've got guests, uh, you uh, read from some cool uh, different academic articles from around the world. Uh, You even had a segment and uh, this, this was the thing out of the five hours I listened to, this was the thing that kind of stuck with me the longest. You had a segment on uh, yesterday, one of yesterday's hours uh, from Melbourne, Australia. It was a a soundbite from the uh, commissioner, the police commissioner in Melbourne, Australia. I could not believe my ears, Brian. Can you tell us maybe just a little bit about that? I'll, I'll let you explain it. You can better than I. Yeah, it's uh, it was just uh, about a five minute long clip of this uh, this police commissioner describing how they would go about enforcing their lockdown. And Melbourne, Australia, apparently has one of the strictest lockdowns anywhere in the world. I mean, we're talking curfew from 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. You are not allowed to venture beyond five kilometers, roughly a little over three miles from your home. Only one person can leave your home during the day, only to get essential supplies. And he was just talking about how, and we are, uh, you know, we're issuing, I think, I can't remember what he called it. It was a nicer word than ticket, but it's a ticket, you know. <laughs> they're ticketing people, and he was complaining that people think that the rules don't apply to them, and they're, they're above the rules, but they're not. And so they're, they're busting people for getting out there and, and violating these lockdown protocols. And it's one thing to say, okay, well, you know, the rules are there to be followed, but it's another thing when you stop and think, are these protocols actually doing anything to slow the spread of COVID-19? And if the answer is, well, we don't know for sure, then why would we essentially convert an entire community into a a big open-air prison? Yeah, it's crazy. Some of the things he said, he talked about uh, them uh, citing someone who had gone to McDonald's and back to get something to eat. Uh, he, he talked about breaking the window in of a car and pulling someone out because they didn't produce the, the proper documentation and stuff. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, it's 2020. Uh, last I checked, Australia was a free country, uh, parliament, parliamentary ruled country. Uh, how in the world does this happen, Brian? It, it, it's, it amazes me. I, I can't even imagine that happening here in Utah. Well, uh, you know, I think we're all pretty shell-shocked as to what the world was like six months ago versus what it's like today. Yeah. Um, you know, at the, at the beginning of this pandemic, there were a lot of unknowns. And, and so I think a lot of us erring on the side of safety said, okay, I'll go along with it. We'll stay in place. We'll stay apart from people. You know, we'll wear the mask. We'll do what we can do to, to minimize the spread of, of this disease. But, you know, I, I'm not trying to be cavalier when I say this, but, Andy, the bodies 
have not materialized. I mean, the people who were at most risk, those uh, 70 to 80 and above with comorbidities, yes, there is danger to them from this illness, but for everybody else, um, we have a 99 point something percent chance of surviving it if we contract it. Why are we locking everything down and destroying people's livelihoods and threatening them with legal sanctions and legal consequences? Yeah, and, and physical harm <laughs> Come on, came to came to one person. I, I just, I'm just again, I'm kind of stunned that this has developed. And you know, I'm, first of all, let me say I'm grateful to Utah's leaders. While they have been strong in recommending things, they have not actually uh, created statutes or whatever and, and told us we have to do these things. Uh, I guess it could be worse. Again, we look at look at what's what's going on in Melbourne, Australia. It just boggles the mind. Well, and look at what's happened here in Utah. Yeah, we've had cases to deal with, and there, you know, there have been consequences. But I think that's been true everywhere. And the fact that we didn't lock the state down shows that we are we're still no worse off than those places that did the ultra hardcore lockdowns. Places like Southern California, places like New York, uh, we're far better off than they are. And it's not just a function of population; it's it's a function of people. We're already limiting their social contacting and, and, and taking measures like washing their hands and, and, you know, just being aware of whether or not they were showing symptoms before those mandates came out. Well, and, and the other thing, too, is, uh, you know, taking away choices is, is the thing that really bothers me. And, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, but Brian, but my, my mother passed away recently. And toward the end of her life, we should not have been there with her. The, according to all everything that everyone's right, oh, you shouldn't go, you shouldn't go, you shouldn't go. But uh, I talked with my mom, and she's like, I need you people here. I, I, I'm on my last days and weeks of, of my life. I need you here with me. I need to be surrounded by people I love, and that is being robbed by uh, robbed of so many people in uh, in in these lockdowns now. And and I don't I don't know what the right answer is to this, Brian. But it seems like to me, if someone says, "Look, I'm dying. I want my family around," they they ought to be able to have their family around them, shouldn't they? I think so. I mean, the, my daughter is is studying to become a nurse, and she has been working in the COVID unit of the hospital in her community here of late. And she says it's it's very tough when you can only have, you know, I think four visitors, you know, from a family in a daytime. And, and if somebody is dying and there was a 90-some-year-old guy dying, they have to choose, okay, which who gets to say goodbye to him? And, I mean, it's it's not that we're trying to be reckless. It's not that people are throwing caution to the wind. It's it's just let's let's try to keep some perspective and understand younger people and especially healthy people really are not at that great of risk. Don't bring 88-year-old, you know, uh, Aunt Sadie, you know, who has emphysema or something like that, she would be at terrible risk of, of contracting the disease and possibly dying from it. But, yeah. you know, you shouldn't have to shut everybody else out and treat them like they're in the same situation. All right. Uh, you have, uh, of course, the, the show must roll on. You're on to a new week. We'll have five hours of Brian Hyde coming up this next weekend on the 6 to 6 a.m., 6 p.m. Saturday and Sunday. Uh, one of the first things you talk about this week is uh, this concept. It's called principled anti-lockdown. What does that mean, Brian? Well, I know it's, I, I really want to be the kind of person who is known more for what I stand for than what I'm against. So yeah. you know, I'm anti this. That, that Immediately, that's kind of a red flag. But I don't know any other way that, uh, that you can, can convey what needs to be done, which is to stand up against these lockdowns and this lockdown mentality. Jeffrey Tucker writes for the American Institute for Economic Research, and he's been a really, I, I, I have found him to be a very good, trusted voice of reason on this matter. 
He's he's not a flaming liberal. He's not a hardcore conservative so much as he's a principled economist trying to find where is that balance between honoring people's autonomy and their, their private property rights and protecting the public health. Because without that balance, you know, we're, we're going to just surrender all of our freedoms and find out we still can't stop the, the disease. It's a virus. It has to work its way through society. Herd immunity has to be achieved. And he says, so what we need is a principled anti-lockdown history. And he talks about how there have been at least uh, four different pandemics that have come through. And, and maybe that la- this last one was an epidemic in 2005. Do you remember, uh, was it H1N1 yeah. that we were all concerned about? But, I mean, there was a polio outbreak, 49 to 52. There was the Hong Kong flu, uh, 57 to 58. I forget what the one was during 68, 69. We never shut down society for any of those. And people got sick, and some people died. But we managed it and kept society open and kept things moving forward. We've never approached it like this. And so he's saying we've got we've to have enough of a groundswell of people standing up for their property rights, standing up for their personal autonomy and their decision-making, you know, their, their ability to make these decisions for themselves. But it can't come from a place of pitchforks and torches. We have to be able to, to do it um, while asserting those freedom fundamentals and rallying around individual choice, saying, look, if the mask makes you feel safe, please go ahead and wear it. If, if it uh, makes you feel like you're keeping others safe, great. But to attack people for resisting wearing them and to, to be upset at them for seemingly not following the rules, that's imposition. That's intolerance. And it's, it's not a good way to go. Like a principled anti-lockdown. And, and I, I think the thing about it is, uh, if you're one of those people who believe uh, believe in a mask and want want to wear one at you know at, at all times when you're out in public places, that's fine. But it, you know, like you said, it, it comes down to okay, that's your principles. Those aren't my principles. Uh, I mean, you could make the case that uh, you know I, I had some folks on this show a year ago or so that uh, they believed that a woman should be able to wear anything she wants, regardless of what it may uh, may do to the male mind or the male whatever libido. And and uh, I said, well, you know, and they were anti anti domestic abuse and anti uh, sexual violence, and of course, so am I. Uh, but their argument was, well, it doesn't matter what she wears; it still shouldn't happen. And I said, well, I agree with you. It it, it doesn't matter what she wears; it shouldn't still happen. But if you're gonna if you're gonna start a you know if you're gonna get a motor started, uh, you know by 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 wearing provocative clothes, then you know then then you're you're kind of at that point you're going okay I'm not inviting sexual violence but I'm certainly inviting a man to think uh, things about me that maybe shouldn't be thought. Well, the same can be said. I mean, those are your principles. I could say, well, my principles are that that girl should should cover her shoulders or shouldn't be hanging out her breasts out. So I should try to impose that on you. That doesn't sound right to me, Brian. Anytime coercion enters the equation, there's a problem. Unless a person's behavior is violent and it's threatening other people, um, really anything peaceful should should just you should be able to let people do whatever is peaceful. Now, there are, I mean, that's not to say, therefore, cast standards aside, a person peacefully walking naked down the road. All right. There's, there is such a thing as community standards, mm-hmm. and there is such a thing as, as decency. But I would submit that maybe not everything needs to be handled as a legal matter. In other words, uh, you know, communities have influence. Family has influence. Church, school, media, you know, business, they all have influence. 
why not let them exert some influence because they have to persuade in order to get people to, to go their way as opposed to the state, which says, you're going to do this or else. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, we're talking with Brian Hyde. His new show, The Brian Hyde Show, is on at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. Saturdays and Sundays here on KDXU. I think a, a real refresh. I know there are some Dave Ramsey fans that are like, hey, wait a minute, but those were actually reruns of Dave Ramsey shows. Now we've got live uh, 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 content, uh, uh, fresh content from, from Brian Hyde. Uh, I'm excited to have you on the air, Brian. Thanks for, uh, I, don't, I don't even remember how we got started on this, but I don't know if I found you online or you called me or whatever, but I'm glad we got it all done and all, everything signed and everything. Uh, and uh, I feel like it's going to be a, a great marriage between KDXU and Brian Hyde. Uh, if you want to call exciting. and if you want to call and talk to Brian right now, six seven three five eight nine zero is the phone number six seven three five eight ninety. Now, Brian, down here, as you remember, we start school a little earlier than the rest of the state, and in fact, school starts this week on Thursday morning. Right now, we are basically business as usual in school, with the exception of a little extra cleaning and some masks that the kids will be required to wear while they're at school. Your thoughts on back to school as we get close? It's going to be different for sure. And and I'm curious, what kind of pushback, or is there any pushback that you're hearing from either parents or students regarding some of the, the new things they're going to have to do? I, uh, in my own home, I'm hearing, I don't want to wear a mask for six, seven hours, dad, but, but I'll do it because I want to go to school. And, and that's kind of the overwhelming feeling, I think, is, you know what, whatever it takes to get back to school, to see your friends, to get back to learning in person. Uh, I, you know, I, I think lunchtime is going to be interesting, uh, you know, because you can't, obviously you can't leave your mask on while you eat. There, it's not realistic to have six-foot social distancing in a, in a crowded lunchroom, even if you have three or four different lunch periods and you have people eating at 9.30 in the morning or whatever. So that's going to be uh, very, very interesting. I noticed, uh, Brian, that Alpine School District up there in northern Utah, they're going to early out every day. So they're only having like three or four hours of school every day. Uh, here, in, here in St. George, it's going to be a regular day with the masks. Uh, one of the things that's going to be very interesting is – uh, the first time a kid comes home with somebody else's mask, <laughs> and their parents are like, wow, where did you get that? Oh, my friend, I liked hers better, so we traded. We traded, uh, yeah. Human nature is, look, kids are kids. And, and I say this from the standpoint, a friend of mine is an educator here in northern Utah. Um, he was in the classroom for about three weeks with a bunch of students. Now, this was in a private school setting, but they had masks. They had social distancing, the whole nine yards. And he said, I'm sorry to tell you, it doesn't work. Hmm. The kids will find ways to get together. They will. They, they were okay for the first week when it was still kind of new, but pretty soon, you know, they're fidgeting. They're pulling the masks away. They're they're trading masks and so forth. But his his biggest concern was it made the educational process that much more difficult. He says, "I don't feel like I taught them a thing simply because that mask represented a barrier in our communication. It was hard to read them whether they were understanding. It was hard for them to tell whether you know he was being." you know, funny or not, because they couldn't read his facial expression. What uh, what was the age group of that, uh, of his class? This would have been, I think, roughly junior high, middle school age kids. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 you, and you have children at home still, right, Brian? I do. What are, what is, what are the kind of the gut feeling, and what's the feeling in the Hyde household about all this? Well, my wife's a public school teacher, mm-hmm. so, you know, she's, she's looking at uh, half the kids coming one day, half coming the next. It. She has a shield that she'll be wearing. It's, it's kind of like the cone of shame that we would put on our dog after your, you know, your dog's had surgery. We don't want them, you know, scratching the stitches. Um, 
so she's she's doing it, but she she's not particularly happy about it just because it does represent um, a significant uh, sacrifice of personal comfort, and and it's tough. You know, there there are a lot of hoops to jump through. The big question I think a lot of us have is, is this really doing what we believe it's doing? And and it's too soon to know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, there was a good piece. I played a, a quote from Mark Levin about, uh, it wasn't about masks specifically. It was, it was about breaking up the country and, and, and the way to do it. And the way to do it is to, to not let people go to work, not let people go to shows and concerts and, and restaurants to, you know, to make them wear a mask and, and then to start a little racial war, which is kind of going on right now and have looting and, yeah, it was it was it got me pretty fired up. Mark Levin's a fiery kind of guy, anyway. But uh, I got to tell you, Brian, right now I'm kind of sitting in a position of uh, everybody stop telling me what to do. You know, <laughs> I mean, free aren't we aren't we founded on freedom? I mean, isn't that what it's all about? Yeah. Well, and we've we've kind of forgotten that because we're afraid, and that's understandable. But uh, you know, if if a person is afraid, I would say then then they are perfectly within their right to wear a mask, to, to stay at home, to, to limit their activities, basically to self-quarantine, if that makes them feel safer. The place where they cross the line, though, is when they want to impose that on other people. And even worse, if they want to use the power of the state to tell other people, hey, you, business owner, you can't be open to the public. And, and if, if there's no proof that that business owner has actually harmed someone, that is a misapplication of the force of the state to go send police out there to ticket them or health department officials to go out there and threaten them or pull their license and otherwise prevent them from making a living. Yeah, well said. We've got several callers on the line. Uh, Seth is first in line. You okay to take some calls, Brian? Yeah, let's do it. All right, Seth, you're on with Brian and I. What's up? Uh, he was. Uh, you guys were talking about Australia. Now, if I remember uh, my history correctly, Australia was a prison planet, right? Uh, anybody in England they didn't like, they sent to Australia. That's that's the rumor. I, I don't I don't know the veracity of it. I'm sure it's somewhat accurate. Yes. So you need special laws down there because they're criminals. <laughs> Okay. No, I'm joking. Of course, I'm joking. Yeah, but, we're going to have Australian riots because of you, Seth. That's, that's for sure. Uh, did you mention the other day, both you and Brian, that we hadn't had rain in, what, 100 days? Yeah, we're about there, yep, here in southern Utah. Yes, okay. Uh, uh, have you noticed that during the uh, the fact that uh, we're having a drought and there's no clouds or lightning or anything up there, that suddenly all of the geoengineering trails in the sky have magically disappeared? I hadn't noticed that. Well, I've been outside, so I guess I haven't noticed either. Yeah, take a look up. There's no long-lasting uh, white uh, springy clouds up there coming out of the rear end of an airplane. So it just seems anomalous to me that suddenly we don't need geoengineering, and I think the same thing happened last year. Hmm. So th there's a correlation. They have something better called the blocking high pressure that sits over the four corners and prevents this part of the country from receiving rain. Uh, I'm used to having my garden and my property 
watered almost every evening with something called monsoons. Yeah, we haven't had those for a couple of years now, right? Yeah, two years, there's no monsoon. And, and so something is seriously wrong, and I don't think it's a, a normal course of action. I think we and our beloved government, like they would have in Australia for criminals, have decided they're going to dry out the southwest and see how many little fires we can have everywhere. Mm, okay, and it's almost impossible to try to grow your own food which is another added benefit if you're of an evil intent. Ooh, you could go, wow. Uh, Brian, there's a conspiracy for you. And a good one. (laughs) (laughs) I wish wish I'd been outside. I I just realized I must be spending way too much time indoors because I haven't even looked up in the sky to see what's happening there. Yeah, and, you know, Brian, and I hate to cut Seth short, but uh, I actually have a couple of other guests coming on. So I just looked at the clock. It's 930 already. But, uh, Brian, thanks for coming on today. Uh, always well-spoken. I, always fun to listen to your show. And, and like I said before we went on the air, I don't agree with everything you say, but I, I it was entertaining and fun to listen to. And uh, like you said, hey, uh, if we all thought the same, then, then we might as well be on NPR. Exactly. All right, he's Brian. I'm politely agreeing. Thanks, Andy. (laughs) He's Brian. Hi. Thank you, Brian. Great to talk to you today. Welcome back to the program. It's 934 on KDXU. Got a couple of guests lined up in the next uh, 25 minutes. Right now, I'm joined on the phone by Mike Esplin. He's the head football coach at Snow Canyon High School. Mike, how are you, man? I'm doing as well as can be expected. How are you, Andy? <laughs> well, I'm doing about the same. You're right. Uh, <laughs> or as my my friend Jimmy Keston always says, I'm blessed. That's the, when you ask him, yeah. he always says, I'm blessed. So, Yep, always thankful. Very, very strange world that we're in right now. And uh, as we got closer and closer to football season, everybody kept asking, is there going to be football? Is there going to be football? And, uh, and of course, they were talking about NFL or they were talking about college football. But I'd always say, well, it looks like high school football's a go. And uh, for all indications, Mike, it looks like you guys will be opening, opening up on Friday. It does, yes. Right now we have preparations and plans and have spoken to Cypress High School and Magna. So we will travel up. That's our scheduled game one, and it is on as of now. What's the uh, – is it regular six, 7 o'clock kickoff? So we have moved the kickoff to 5.30. Okay. Where we, we're going to take a bus and then just have to leave right after the game, taking extra safety precautions, no hotels or anything like that, come home the same day. So then we won't be driving home quite so late. Now, I read the big giant list of things that the UHSAA put out on, on safety precautions and things that you guys have to do. Can you talk about uh, right now what you expect on Friday, what what kind of precautions are going to be in place, and what you guys are going to have to do to make football a reality on Friday? Yeah, I mean, you always say it, no matter what industry you're in, and coaching and, and teaching and working with kids is definitely – one of those areas where safety has to be first. So there's, I mean, there's all summer been talks with, you know, the different people that, that help provide that safety and the UHSAA that, that writes up the return to play all the way to the governor and, and those offices that, that set the different risk levels and things like that. And, and just like in anything that we do, we're, we're talking about what's, 
best for the students, what's best for the school, what what can we do. Um, it'll definitely be, especially this first game, no one's ever done this live. Yeah. We've talked about all the things we need to do to, to stay safe. Um, we're used to things that I didn't ever think, even imagine we'd have to be used to as far as, you know, practicing and, and everything. I mean, we, we've we learned how to space out and get temperature checked before we come in and talk mm. about symptoms. If you're sick at all, do not show up. And and I think in the past, you know, with football, especially some of those kind of more warrior sports, it's like, hey, just suck it up and, and you know, no matter how you feel, get here and let's do it. But, yeah. but if you're sick, stay away. And, and we need to keep everybody else safe, not just – so you kind of have to think as unselfish as you possibly can. Um, we haven't done much indoors, so so there's been – you know, we'll, we'll be wearing masks on the bus, and we'll be showing up to Cyprus all in masks, and we'll be in a bigger area to where we can spread at halftime, and, and we can – and student-athletes from the 10-yard line to the 10-yard line so that they can space when they're not playing. Um, they're, they're 25% of capacity stands at Cyprus. Hmm. And, and I think each district and each county and, and you know administration and coaches for each game will have to talk about you know, how do we do this and still give them that mental because it's, it's huge for kids to have some, some normal and to be on a mission together and to, to learn all those things that high school football teaches, that sports teach, that school teaches, that socialization and that mental health. So trying to balance all of those things and no one has ever done it before. Yeah. Um, I think we're lucky we have a lot of good people that care about the kids involved. You know, it's funny. We, we talk about health, and, and it is certainly the most important thing that, that people don't get sick. But uh, I, I'm really intrigued with the, with the mental and emotional side of things. Uh, I had Craig Hammer on last week, the chairman of the board of Washington School District, and he said that they were hurt. They were emotionally hurt by what they had to do to the students in the spring with the, the canceling of sports and you know senior year for so many kids they never got to play you know whether it was baseball or soccer or golf or whatever their chosen sport was yeah and and Craig was was adamant he says if we can play we will play because it's important emotionally and mentally for these young people is it worth it Mike is is all this hassle worth it. I, I, I think absolutely, and knowing Craig, I mean, that's a guy that, that cares about the kids, and that's a that's a person we're lucky to have in the position that he's in. Yeah. Is because, I mean, physical safety and health is one of the areas, but I think a lot of parents and adults and, and definitely a lot of the kids seeing what it feels like to be quarantined, to not be able to be with friends, to not be able to go to school, to not be able to go do something like a a high school baseball game, talking about the spring where you've planned your whole life and you've played your whole life and you've learned all these lessons and it's time to go put them to the test as a team. And then that gets taken away. But I also understand, you know, when you have something new pop up, 
um, you, you've got to have some time to talk through, you know, what's the best, what's the smartest balance, how do we do this, can we do this, and give them all those positive things mentally, physically, you know, spiritually, all those things, and do it and do it safe physically. And like I said, the, the people that I've been around that, that are in those decision-making um, positions, I've been very impressed by how thoughtful they've been as to how we can do this smart. And in high school, we're a little bit luckier where we don't have to be traveling from state to state. Yeah. No, no airplanes. <laughs> um, I mean, college, it's tougher because you're going from one state to maybe seven states across. And, and I mean, there's so much money involved in all those things. And, and high school football is the purest football, I think. I mean, for the people that just love it, high school football is, is pure and a great teaching tool. Agreed. So we're lucky that we don't – I mean, we had to make a lot of – you know, talked through a lot of precautions and, and definitely out of state games got canceled. We had a team from Samoa that was supposed to come here week two and obviously they couldn't travel and we were going to, you know, kind of show them our school and bring them in and, yeah. and eat with them and all those things. So opportunities that would have been really good for, for that to, to tune a team from Samoa and for our kids from Snow Canyon you don't get those, and there's going to be some things you don't get, but I still think that the the positive, you know, if we can we we can have precautions that keep kids safe physically, boy, they're going to get a lot of, of benefits by being able to play the season. You're you're in a unique position as a high school coach to have a big effect on young people's lives. Uh, I I've felt over the last uh, I've been doing games here 26 years. In fact, I did games when you played, Mike. But uh, I've yeah. I've felt that coaches take that very seriously. They're not just coaching X's and O's and trying to win. They're coaching young men and and women and trying to turn them into productive adults. Uh, Mike, have you been able to, I know you've been able to gauge the temperature physically of the kids. Have you been able to gauge the temperature of your players emotionally and mentally? Are they, are they plugged in? Are they on board with this? There, I mean, I've never seen so many kids, usually the beginning, well, springtime when you're, Hey, let's get in the weight room. Let's all get together. Let's at least lift during spring. And then here we tell them, go play another sport in the spring. Right, right, right. So, so I shared in the heartbreak of all those track kids and all those baseball kids and, and you know, all those sports that, that they had to stop to talk about what do we need to do to do it right. And I felt that. And, and then I also, you know, digitally we stayed in touch. We tried to keep that that team bond as well as you can from a, a Zoom meeting or a Google Hangout meeting or, a, right. you know, sending out group me messages, look at huddle, we can watch film. But there's still nothing like being in the weight room together or being out on the field together and having that opportunity to work together to build those relationships didn't get to go to any seven-on-seven tournaments, didn't mm. get to go to Dixie State where we planned to hold camp. Our helmets got held up until the first official day of <laughs> of pads because wow. they were in California and the plant got shut down. Oh my. So there's been all kinds of things. But I'll tell you, the kids, 
all showed up, and I had never seen kids more excited to get a chance, even with extra precautions and, and it not looking exactly normal, excited to be there and at least be in distance to where they can see their friends and work out with them. So we've had a huge positive uh, response here. And from all the coaches that I've talked to across our state, it's been the same with them when they were allowed to get back together in some shape or form. Yeah. Um, and, and that still holds on right now. And I think the the scary part for coaches is now you've had a chance to do some bonding and do some working out and and the kids are all excited. We have a game coming up Friday and and you know, we try and well we are, we're moving forward, we're positive, we expect things to go well, we expect success, we expect all these lessons we want to teach to these young kids to be taught. But if something were to happen and someone else made a decision that, that they couldn't, that would be that would be heartbreaking seeing how excited they've they've been to yeah. be out there together. Yeah. Mike, I, I got to let you go. I got another uh, coach. Ron Dinas is going to join us from Crimson Cliffs. He's a golf coach there. I wanted to get his perspective, another fall sport, but Mike, I appreciate you taking a few minutes, very uh, almost gut wrenching conversation with you because I can feel how invested you are in these kids and, and, uh, and your football team. I just hope I'm, I'm with you. I've got uh, my fingers and toes crossed that, you know, football high school anyway is going to go and, and uh, we'll be able to have uh, prevent any outbreaks, but I guess nobody knows, right? We do the best that we can, and like I said, there's there's so many great kids, not just at Snow Canyon, and so many great adults watching out for them mm. that, that we're very, very blessed in Utah to have who we have making decisions. Well thanks, said. Thanks, Andy. Thank, thanks, Mike. Good to talk to you. Local loan consultant serving Southern Utah for more than 25 years. You go online to the online surveys, and I'm telling you, if you can get 4.9 stars, 4.91 stars out of five, that's an incredible, incredible record. Let me read you a couple of reviews. Five stars from Robert H. in Enoch. He says, "Patience in work." Uh, Joe had patience in working with us. Promptness in answering our questions. Ability to resolve problems along the way. Let's scroll down to, uh, this is John in St. George. So Joe and his people we dealt with were very helpful and pleasant to deal with. They all made us feel as family and did everything they could to help us. All done with a smile. Many thanks. And one more, this is Cheryl in Perwin. Thank you all for working so hard to get my loan approved and closed. Joe Shoney, your local loan consultant that focuses on customer service. How do you get a hold of him? 435-590-6300 is a phone number, 435-590-6300. Or you can email Joe. It's joe.shoney, S-C-H-O-N-E-Y, at nafinc.com. Welcome back to the program. It's 9.50 on the phone line now with me. Now is Ron DeNoss. Ron is with the new Crimson Cliffs High School. I, I guess it's the new, Ron, but it's actually your second year now as you guys get, get rolling in the fall season. How are you doing? Good. It's actually, I'm still at Desert Hills High School. Oh, you're still at Desert Hills. Why, why was I thinking Crimson Cliffs? I had it stuck in my head. I don't know. <laughs> sorry about that, I'm Ron. I'm still at Desert Hills. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, anyway, Ron, tell me a little bit about uh, your experience now in this new world that we live in with COVID-19 looming over everyone's shoulders. Well, it's definitely been different. Uh, it's something that I feel that we need to get back going uh we take a risk every day just going out on our own i think if we just uh 
stick with the things that they tell us to do and just go on and do the things that we need to do. As a coach, what are you feeling from the young men that, that you're involved with? Is there uh, irritation, fear, anger, uh, sadness? What's, what's the general feeling you're getting from your, from your young people? They just want to play. They just want to go out and get going with their lives. They don't want to be put on hold anymore. They understand the gravity of the situation. But if they just, you know, do the precautions that they're supposed to do and then just go out and do the things that they want to do, I think that's key. How long have you been coaching now, Ron? It's a couple of decades? It has. It's been about 26 years. 26 years. Wow. That, that's actually when I started doing radio down here was 20, 26 years ago. <laughs> now, you are you still assisting with football, or is that is that over now? Nope. I'm done with football, so I just do golf and girls basketball. What, uh, you know, I mean, basketball fortunately got done right before all this hit uh, last spring. Uh, but, you you know, you, you know these kids. You know the the frustration that must have been felt. I have a, I had a senior last year, by the way, didn't get to graduate. There was no graduation. There was no senior trip. There was no senior, I don't know what they were, that night, senior night where they all stay over at the school and party all night long and stuff. And, I mean, there was, there was definitely some life-altering events that didn't take place. Um, what, what was your What was your feeling about all that? Well, I, I really uh, feel bad for those seniors because uh, that's something that they can never get back again in their lives. And as you look back, and it's easy to look back, but it did not really hit our city or state till later in the summer. Yeah. And um, so all those kids kind of missed out because of a situation where adults in that made the situation, I mean, made the call for them i think it's just where i just think that we the society need to take responsibility for ourselves understand the precautions that we need to take and do those and uh go on living because if we start panicking about every little thing then we're going to get ourselves in trouble where we're not even going to live and all these other things that come up that we don't even understand affects us even more so uh I think there's a fine line that we need to follow. I definitely think that we need to do the things that we need to to help each other out. And I think that we can do that and continue going on with our lives. How has uh, coaching golf changed for you? Have you had to make a lot of a lot of changes in, in how you do things? Well, we, we have to test the temperature every time uh, for practice. Uh, we have them golf a little bit easier because – you're outside and you're actually apart the whole time. Uh, they here we can pull the flag and Cedar we couldn't pull the flag, but most of them are just leaving it in. Uh, we have to wear masks on our way to meet uh, matches, and uh, then we cannot. We like last week we couldn't even have our scores out. We kind of kept it so they didn't. Uh, gather around and so it's we're making changes that might help them uh we're trying to do the things we're supposed to so hopefully we can continue playing for these kids that really is a sport that really does not affect them to be able to play it now besides being a coach you're a school teacher as well 
what 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 are you feeling now as the school gets ready to start on Thursday as a school teacher on on that side of things? Is it going to work the way the way they've got it set up? You know, we'll have to wait and see, but I definitely think that school kids need to be back at school. I think it's the best thing for them after going through the last uh, quarter with the kids and seeing a lot of them didn't go very forward in in education during that time. That it really hurt them. If you start out another year like that, I think it's going to put them that much further behind, and we're not going to know the causes of this until down the road. And uh, I just think that they need to be in school. I think they uh, most of them want to be back in school, and they need to get that opportunity. We're trying to do our best to make it as safe as possible. They need to wear a mask and keep a social distance. But, um, you know, I think there's going to be people to get it, just like there's people going to get the flu in that. Uh, we'll just have to take our, do our goals, and we'll try to be as safe as possible. We'll do all the precautions, but we we got to go on living and just do the things we need to to get through this. We're talking with Ron Denoss of Desert Hills High School. He's the head golf coach for, for boys and the head girls basketball coach. And I guess that would be the next question. As, as we transition into the new year, winter sports, uh, I'm not asking you to predict the future, Ron, but uh, do you think things will still be pretty tight as far as the all the restrictions when we get to basketball season? You know, I don't, I don't know. I, I think it's going to just – See how things go in the fall here. Uh, I think that for the most part, I think we'll be all right if uh, people just stay with it and we'll get through this. We was able to do some things during the summer with the girls, uh, and we didn't have anybody come down with the COVID, and we were safe. So um, it can be done. I'm not saying that there might not be someone that gets it down the road. I don't know. Mm-hmm. All we can do is do our best and try to do what we're supposed to of keeping our distance and wash our hands. And if we do those things, that will help us. We, you know, I, I'm a big believer in sports. I always have been that uh, you know, it teaches you to set goals. It teaches you to work hard uh, to try to accomplish something and, and, and figure out how to, how to have teamwork. Uh, but along with all that, there's a certain camaraderie uh, in, in sports, a certain, fr- you know, friendships. I have friendships that I developed, you know, playing sports that are still alive today. Uh, is this killing the camaraderie part of sports, uh, Ron? I think so. I look back when I I still have close ties from when I played sports in that in uh, high school, and uh, I think it's such a big part of a lot of people and a lot of students' lives that uh, you can't get anywhere else. Uh, even if you go play in college, there's something about high school that is uh, different from anywhere else, and uh, that opportunity was not able to happen for some of these kids, and they'll never have that opportunity again. And it carries you throughout your life. I think that it really helps you in, in uh, being successful, be able to deal with situations and, you know, the ups and downs of it. And that's kind of how life goes. And be able to overcome those things and see the success you have by hard work that you put in. All those things contribute to your life. And I think it's important for kids to have that opportunity to go forward. Less than a minute left, Ron, just real quick. What do you anticipate Thursday morning? Is it going to be like a, a scene out of a pandemic movie, or do you think it'll be mostly normal? Uh, it's not going to be normal, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes, how the kids handle it. 
Um, I think it's going to be a little easier for us at the high school level versus elementary, trying to keep the kids having their mask on. Yeah. With me teaching PE, it's definitely going to be a different situation. We're going to just have to fill things out and uh, see how it goes. I'm interested to see how it works out, to tell you the truth. All right, Ron, we're out of time. Thanks so much for coming on today. Ron Denos from Desert Hills High School. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me.